Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host Shahan J. Raja, the college football insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. And we are brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. We had a crazy week of football. I was, I was joking on Twitter earlier. How do you even narrow down what to talk about today, right? I mean, obviously we'll go through every single game, every single FBS game in the state of Texas, but my goodness, I, it was one of the best weekends of Texas college football that I can remember. I mean, huge wins, crushing losses, really high level of competition. I think we learned a lot about basically every single team that uh, that played in the state this weekend. I, I really do think that we did, and that's exciting. Look, I, I don't want to waste any time. We, we have to get right into it because there's just so much to talk about. Number 15, TCU 28, Ohio State 40. Look, Gary Patterson, after the game, said that TCU spotted Ohio State 21 points. And if we're being honest, he, he might have undershot it. They really, really made some critical mistakes that gave away easy points. Uh, the, the obvious ones that come to mind, the fumble in the end zone on, like the, uh, on TCU's first drive of the game when they're starting down uh, in their own end zone. Sean Robinson fumbles the ball. Ohio State recovers it for a touchdown. Uh, on like the third play of the game, Ohio State goes, passes downfield, gives up a you know, gets a big chunk play, gets down to the one yard line, and and eventually they settle for a field goal. But that's three more extra points that TCU kind of just gave up. Uh, then on the other end, Son Robinson threw a pick six. That's obviously one that he wished he could have back. A really terrible decision on a shovel pass. And again, it's just. It, and then you also add a 63-yard field goal or a touchdown that Ohio State scored that they really just whiffed a tackle on, and, and they were off to the races. So you just spotted them so many points. I, I mean, TCU really did outplay them. Other than this one four-minute period where three of those things happened and, and they scored three touchdowns in a matter of a couple of minutes. Oh, and, and the other one. The other one was uh, was TCU's... Uh, punt got blocked and so they had a short field to, to score a touchdown so I mean there are just so many points that were TCU mistakes and not even Ohio State playing well because Ohio State did not play very well I mean the stat line looks pretty impressive for Dwayne Haskins 24 for 38 for 344 yards and two touchdowns but he wasn't able to consistently move the ball against TCU's defense and until late in the game Ohio State really struggled to to run the football uh, J.K. Dobbins had a kind of breakaway run. You know, Mike Weber had as long of 17, but that was kind of it. I, I mean, they didn't really make a huge impact on the game uh, in the running game. And again, Ohio State has a fantastic offensive line. They have a fantastic stable of running backs. TCU was able to contain that. And, and even though TCU did lose by 12 points, I really do feel like the takeaway from this game should be that TCU can hang with any team in the country because Ohio State was number four in the country and TCU was in a rebuilding year. That was the shocking thing to me is that TCU led for most of the second and third quarter and they weren't really supposed to be in this game. They were 13 and a half point underdogs. And granted, the, the, the spread ends up being 12 points, but I don't think it happened exactly how any of us expected it to happen. Uh, again, just with TCU making unforced errors, uh, kind of killing their own momentum with some of these mistakes. And look, TCU's a really young team. I mean, Sean Robinson's a sophomore making his fourth career start at TCU. Jalen Rager, obviously a true sophomore, getting a lot of uh, 
big plays from some young players like Tay Barber and Jarrison Stewart and Trevante Heights. This is a special team. I, I mean, I don't think that we thought that they were ready to compete with a team like Ohio State right away. And the reality is, you know, maybe they weren't completely from a mental perspective, but from a talent perspective, they hung with them in every phase of the game. They played as well as them, if not better. It, it was a really impressive display for TCU. Um, and, and I think after watching this game, I almost feel like you have to, I feel like you have to adjust our expectations for the Horned Frogs this season because to me coming into the year I felt like Oklahoma in the Big 12 is just a step above everybody else and I still do kind of think that uh, West Virginia has been very impressive you know they killed Tennessee week one of the season I really wish we got to see them against North Carolina State this weekend but no such luck um, you know because the game was unfortunately canceled because of the hurricane and and prayers out to everybody who's being affected by by hurricane florence and any of the storms around it because that's just a terrible situation but but TCU all of a sudden looks like maybe their conference title caliber this year again because last year they had a pretty experienced team so it wasn't a huge shock that they competed for the conference title this year they lost a lot on both sides of the ball but to this point, it hasn't really killed them. It, it really hasn't killed them. They've, they've played really well. Um, and again, I think that even though it was in a loss, this was the most impressive game that TC's put together so far. You know, and, and the most important part to me, the biggest takeaway that I have from this game is that Sean Robinson flashed a side of himself that I don't think that I'd seen before with him in a TCU uniform. He was very inconsistent against SMU. He was awful against Texas Tech in his first start last year, and I didn't even think he did a very good job against Southern uh, placing the football. But against Ohio State, he looked like a completely different player. I mean, he went out there, he got some air under the football, he he did a great job with his downfield shots, he looked comfortable throwing them, um, he handled being in the pocket well, he threw on the run well a couple of times, which is something he was horrible at the first couple games of the season. And look, Robinson had three critical mistakes. He had a pick six, he had a fumble in the end zone on a strip sack, and he threw another interception down the stretch that basically ended the football game. Those are bad mistakes. Those are three bad mistakes. And look, if Sean Robinson doesn't make those mistakes, again, that's two touchdowns right there. And TCU lost by less than two touchdowns. So look, Robinson going to need to get better from this game, and, and I trust that he will. I mean, again, the amount of progress that he made, and, and just the way that the way that TCU calls plays, the way that Sonny Cumbie calls plays is very impressive. Uh, you know, I, I think that he does a great job of taking advantage of skill sets and, and letting guys be themselves. And I think that really bore itself out against Ohio State. And, and the Buckeyes are really good. They're really, really good. But TCU's offensive line was able to hang with them. Really, everywhere on the field, TCU was able to hang with them. I mean, Noah Daniels, the cornerback, did a fantastic job. He's a very young player, but he was able to come in, break up a couple of passes. This was an impressive team, and this was an impressive effort, and it didn't end up with a win, but I think that still, TCU proved that they deserve to be among the nation's elite. And look, I mean, most of this roster is still underclassmen. So not only do you have this year where you're potentially fighting for a New Year's Six Bowl, you go into next year, and all of a sudden, if Robinson takes another step forward, I mean... This could be a special team. I, I didn't know whether I saw it when this game started, but TCU showed me something. It eventually ended in a loss, but it was an impressive display, and I think that TCU should hang their head high after what happened.
We're going to move over to North Texas versus Arkansas. North Texas 44, Arkansas 17. And, and you heard that right, by the way. North Texas goes into Fayetteville, Arkansas and beats the Razorbacks 44-17 by 27 points. And, and look, just a, a little fun fact. Arkansas's head coach now is obviously Chad Morris, who was previously at SMU. UNT did not beat SMU any year that Chad Morris was there. But I think the most impressive part about this game was not just the final score, it was the way that they did it. Because quarterback Mason Fine, we already knew, is one of the best quarterbacks in the country, right? That, that's not news. And he had a good game, 24 for 45 for 281 yards and a touchdown, and he added a rushing score too. But what was most impressive about this game was that it was a total team effort. I mean, it really was a total, total team effort. The Mean Green picked off Arkansas quarterback six times, six times, and held them to 17 points. Not only that, they held Arkansas's running game to just 3.9 yards per carry. Again, this is an SEC rushing offense, and, and I know that Arkansas right now is in the midst of an identity crisis because Chad Morris wants to run sort of the, the air raid stuff that he ran at SMU, and, and he will eventually run that at Arkansas, but they don't necessarily have the roster to do it right now. But my God, <laughs> I don't know how to put it any other way. My God, six interceptions against three different quarterbacks, too. Four off of Cole Kelly, their starting quarterback, uh, which is just absurd. Just absolutely <laughs> absurd. Um, and the running game, you know, they, they did a pretty good job, too. 95 rushing yards, two touchdowns. Uh, obviously, again, um, Mason Fine had one of them. The play of the game, though, and, and I'm sure you've seen this play by now, but... The only way I know how to describe it is a fake a fake fair catch, I guess is what you'd call it. I don't really know a better way to call it. So basically what happened, because, you know, I mean, there are a lot of ways that that can be a garbage play, you know, if you fake that you're waving or anything like that. But that's not what he did, okay? That's not what he did. So I want to say that the, that the cake returner was Keegan Stevens, I think his name was, from Lake Dallas High School. Uh, excuse me, Keegan Brewer. Keegan Brewer. Sorry, don't want to get that wrong. But Keegan Brewer goes back. Um, he receives the punt at the 10-yard line. And he acts like he just called a fair catch. Like, he does the whole thing where he just kind of settles, you know, has loose body language. He really, really sells it. But he never waved. Like, he didn't do anything that could even be confused as waving. And then he just takes off. He just takes off when Arkansas's defenders start walking off the field because they think that he called a fair catch. But he never waved. He absolutely never waved. So that ended up being a touchdown in the first quarter. And, and more important than that, that gave them a 14-0 lead in the first quarter. And that really set the tone that, hey, this wasn't going to be a shootout. UNT came in here, and they're going to win this dang football game. And it's not going to be close. We're gonna, they're going to come in here, and they're going to take care of business. And that's exactly what they did. I mean, they, they dominated Arkansas in every phase of the game. Offensively, they put up 376 yards. Defensively, they held them to only 336 yards and 3.9 yards per carry and four six interceptions. They made plays on special teams. I mean, they, they dominated them in every phase of the game. Like that, <laughs> it, it's, it was a really, really impressive display. And it's the sort of display that you needed to see from them for them to put themselves into consideration for the New Year's Six Bowls. Because, obviously, you know, UNT 
plays in Conference USA, which isn't necessarily the most, uh, let's say, isn't the most highly regarded conference in college football. But at the same time, if UNT is going to come in here and beat an SEC team in their own house and start 3-0 and in the year and dominate every team the way they have, I mean, again, you have to think that they can at least, they're going to be favored in every game they play this season. I mean, in every game the rest of the way. The only one that would even be close would be Florida Atlantic, and they play them at home this year. So all of a sudden, again, I mean, I, I wrote this on, on Thursday or Friday, but it's, it's okay to dream now. I mean, it really is okay to dream. I mean, North Texas has to pull this off. Let's be clear. I mean, they have to win Conference USA. They have to do it in dominating fashion, and they need some things to go right other places. I mean, obviously, they got some help on, on Saturday because Oklahoma State kind of took it to Boise State, so... Boise State would potentially be out of the picture, you know, since they play in the Mountain West, which isn't also isn't sort of the most highly regarded conference. But Boise has cachet, UCF has cafe, uh, <laughs> cafe. Excuse me. <laughs> UCF has cachet. They might have some beautiful cafes. I I don't know, but that's not what we're talking about. Um, USF has cachet. You know, some of these other programs, especially in the AAC, have some cachet. Um, So UNT really has to go out there and dominate everybody, the way that Western Michigan did a few years ago. Um, And they're totally capable of doing it. I mean, this is is a very balanced football team. We kind of thought that maybe this would just be Mason Fine and some guys. That's not what's happened. I mean, the defense is playing at a phenomenal level. Again, six interceptions against Arkansas. Um, they hold uh, SMU to zero points through three quarters. You know, obviously they kind of let things slip a little bit against Incarnate Word, but the game was never close. I mean, that was never in question. They just kind of came out flat and still only gave up 18 points. You also have to feel happy for Cole Headland, the, the kicker at UNT. You know, he, he missed two field goals last year for Arkansas because he actually started his career at Arkansas. Um, he missed a couple of field goals last year and then just got pulled forever and, and decided it wasn't in his best interest to be there. Transfers to UNT, and he's been tremendous so far. I mean, he's 10 for 10 on, on field goals, including two from 40 to 49 and a, and a 51-yard or two. And he hit all three field goals yesterday against Arkansas. So eat your heart out, Razorbacks. UNT is here. They're here to stay. And look, we're really excited to see what UNT can do the rest of the year. We'll be watching closely, but man, going into Arkansas and winning, that's, that's exactly what you needed to do. And, and the way they did it is exactly the way they needed to do it. Um, very impressive. Texas 37, number 22, USC 14. I'm going to hold off on the Texas back chance just yet because I kind of don't know whether USC is very good. But at the same time, Texas took a team that's still fine you know very talented a good team and they took them to the woodshed at Daryl K Royal Memorial Stadium I mean it was a total beatdown of the USC Trojans I mean USC early in the game was able to get some stuff moving I think they had a 14-13 lead just before halftime you know who it ended up being it ended up being Cameron Dicker Dicker the kicker He kicks the field goal right before the half, a 46-yarder, I think, so a pretty long field goal. He nails it, uh, you know, and he goes 3-for-3 three three on the game on field goals. But it gives him a 16-14 lead at the half, and, and Tom Herman, I want to say it's 8-1, and one, I, I believe is the stat, when he leads at the half, and now up to 9-1. and one. So getting a halftime lead is a big deal, and 
they were able to do it and in the second half they came out and they just dominated them they outscored them 21 to 0 in the second half uh they they were able to hold usc to negative six rushing yards minus six rushing yards and and like obviously sacks come into that but that wasn't the whole thing because their leading rusher had 13 rushing yards. Stephen Carr had 13 rushing yards. That was their leading rusher on the day. And that was despite having a 23-yard run. So they finished with negative five rushing yards. Texas on the other side finishes with 160 rushing yards. Now, they also, you know, they also get sacked a couple of times, also have some negative plays, especially from Ellinger. But, you know, it's only average 3.3 yards per carry. But they were able to move the ball on the ground all right. Uh, Ellinger looked a lot more comfortable. He threw two touchdowns. He had a big-time rushing touchdown to to make things interesting. He had some really nice passes. I, I mean, I, I don't want every game to be some indictment on whether Sam Ellinger is good or not, but he we saw good Ellinger yesterday, and that's encouraging. Um, and, and look, they really, really needed this game. I mean, Texas really, really needed this game because the slate ahead is so tough. Next week, you host TCU, then you go to Kansas State, then you play in the Red River rivalry. So if they didn't get this game, there's a very real chance they could have started 1-5. And, And, I mean, it's far too early to panic, obviously, by any means, even if they had lost this game in Tom Herman's tenure. But, I mean, a 1-5 start would have, that would have set off some alarm bells for sure, especially after losing to Maryland again, but... But Texas bounces back. They, they look like the better team. They score all 21 of their second-half points in the third quarter and just kind of coast to the end from there. Uh, and, look, it was a pretty impressive display. Daniel Young, Trey Watson were able to, to run the ball fairly effectively. Uh, the offensive line did a decent job. You know, they did an all right job. They, they didn't look like they were inept. Um, you know, and they were able to protect, open up some lanes, protect Ellinger a little bit. And when Ellinger has time, he's a much better player. I mean, that's just a reality. He, his bad decisions tend to come when he's on the move. And he's on the move a lot, especially behind, uh, behind Texas' offensive line. And also just with the style of player he is. Uh, you know, he tends to be on the move a lot. But when he has a little bit of time, he's able to deliver some great passes. He had one great one to call in Johnson down the right sideline. Uh, late in the game, just an absolute beautiful throw, beautiful catch, just absolutely beautiful play. So those are the kind of plays that we can see from Ellinger if he's given the time and ability to do it. We just haven't necessarily seen that consistently. So look, Texas showed some signs that maybe <laughs> maybe they aren't dead as yet. Maybe you know they have some ability to to come in and and make some noise. You know, I mean, I, I think that we can. I think that we can admit that Texas is not a Big 12 title contender. I mean, I think that that's, I think that's obvious. But at the same time, you know, I mean, Texas, they have talent. They have ability. They have, they have a lot. You know, they have the players to do it. They have the players to make some noise in the Big 12. And, and year two, to me, was never the year that, that Texas was supposed to compete for the Big 12 title or anything like that. Year two was just the year that they're supposed to make sustainable growth. Obviously, they win seven games last year, kind of slip into a bowl game and win. This year, I think that if they can get to eight-ish, then I think they feel good about their season. Um, or they should. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know whether people will, but I think that you feel good about the season. And then next year's the year where you really have to show results. Because, you, I mean, Texas has a very young defense. That's the reality. They, they still are very young on defense. And, and people kind of 
underrated the impact of losing some of their best players. Again, I mean, we've talked about it extensively, but Deshaun Elliott, Malik Jefferson, Holton Hill, these are fantastic defensive players. Puna Ford. So the idea that they could just come in and replace all those guys immediately and not miss a beat, I, I just never saw it. And you have guys like Caden Stearns are coming in playing very well. Brandon Jones has really taken that next step to, to star level. Gary Johnson is right on the cusp of that too. And Texas needs that. And they'll continue to get better on defense as their players get more experienced. And again, you look at the rest of the slate, there's not very many guaranteed wins left on the schedule. Maybe two, you'd say, against uh, hosting Baylor and at Kansas, hopefully. But, uh, you know... They needed this game. I mean, they really needed this game against USC, and they played with urgency. And actually, funny story, this is the first ranked win of the Tom Herman era. So we'll see whether they can capitalize on it, but they have the first one under their belts. Texas Tech 63, Houston 49. This was a crazy game. I mean, because both these teams coming into the year were known for pretty good defenses. Obviously, Houston on the defensive line Ed Oliver, Isaiah Chambers, two very talented players. I mean, Ed Oliver is the best player in America. And he was mostly able to prove it because Tech only averaged 2.4 yards per rushing attempt. The issue was not on the ground, though, for for either team, let's let's be clear. Through the air, Alan Bowman, the freshman from Grapevine, Texas, playing for the Texas Tech Red Raiders, he goes out, completes 43 of 59 passes for 605 yards and five touchdowns. And by the way, that 605-yard mark is a Texas Tech freshman record. It breaks Patrick Mahomes' mark of 598 yards, which was set against Baylor a couple of years ago. So, whew. I mean, Bowman was seen as a third-string quarterback coming into the season, of course. And that might have changed real quick. Because McLean Carter, obviously, still dealing with a high ankle sprain. They sat him out once again in this game for precautionary purposes. Jet Duffy doesn't seem to be ready or he doesn't seem like Kingsbury wants to play him all that much but Bowman has just come out here and and he looked really bad in his first game but since then I mean he's been impeccable again five touchdowns and zero interceptions against a defense led by Ed Oliver I mean (laughs) that's crazy and and I want to do justice to to Derek King on the other side who also had a fantastic game 30 for 51 431 yards five touchdowns as well I mean, this was a crazy, crazy shootout. I mean, you just look at these scores. I mean, first quarter, Houston's up 21 to 14. Second quarter, Texas Tech outscores them 21 to 7 to take it to take a 35 to 28 lead. Then they equal each other up 14-14 in the in the third quarter, and Texas Tech pulls away in the fourth by outscoring them 14 to 7. So, oh man, this is a this is a classic sort of Texas game, isn't it? But. I don't know. And and I do want to be clear. I mean, it wasn't just it wasn't just Bowman. Bowman played a fantastic game and I mean, he's the reason that they won. But there were also two other breakout stars on that side of the ball. Running back to Zon Henry, 24 carries, 111 yards, four touchdowns. And then at receiver Antoine Wesley, 13 catches, 261 yards and three touchdowns of his own. Look, I don't know whether you guys play college football fantasy. I've never actually really gotten into it, but Oh my God, just, just pick tech receivers. Just pick Texas Tech receivers. Don't, don't waste your time with anybody else. Pick Texas Tech quarterbacks and Texas Tech receivers. And apparently a running back too. <laughs> but they really needed somebody to step up at receiver. 
because TJ Basher is their sort of go-to guy. Um, you know, and he had a good game, six, six catches for 94 yards, two touchdowns. But if Wesley's going to be ready to go too, that's going to be huge for them. You know, he's a junior right now, but he hasn't really done very much. In fact, <laughs> he had 137 yards coming into the year and 261 yards yesterday. So this was a real breakout performance for him. And, and it's the kind of thing that Texas Tech really needs because they don't have a guy next to Basher who they feel terribly comfortable with. Um, and Wesley has the ability to be that guy. He's 6'5". I mean, he's a huge body. He's fast. He's able to make things happen. If Wesley's going to be a go-to option, I think that Bowman's a lot better quarterback. And, and Bowman looks like the guy who you maybe want to stick with now. And, you know, again, it, obviously it's going to get some easy comparisons to, to like the Michael Brewer situation when Baker Mayfield came in uh, for Texas Tech back in 2013, you know, after Brewer got hurt. But I don't know. <laughs> maybe it's more like the, the Davis Webb situation when Patrick Mahomes comes in and Patrick Mahomes just sets the world on fire. I mean... That's kind of what it looks like so far, right? So, great performance uh, by by Bowman. You know, he's a great Vine kid. That's kind of cool um, that he's able to go in there. He was a four-year starter, I think, actually at Grapevine. So, big time, big time arm, big time player, big time decision maker. Do you want to do de- justice to, to Houston though? They played a fantastic game. Marquez Stevenson nine catches for 177 yards, two touchdowns. Keith Corbin seven catches for 103 yards, two touchdowns. So they. I mean, they they played very well. It's just, oh man, Texas Tech, man, <laughs> you just can't count them out, can you? You you just can never count them out because they they just go into games and they kill people, man. They they just can make anything happen on offense. Our good friend Hunter Cook, uh, you know, former diehards, uh, Texas Tech graduate, he said that he felt like this was one of the most complete teams that Texas Tech has ever had. We'll see. I mean, I I think that. There's an argument, but we have to see a little bit more. But, I mean, at the same time, they have a couple of good running backs. Because, like, Henry wasn't supposed to be the go-to guy, right? Demarcus Felton was supposed to be there. Uh, gosh, who am I forgetting? That, that, that was Trey King is obviously supposed to be there. So, so Henry wasn't supposed to be the go-to guy. Um, but he comes into this game, plays a tremendous game, really helps him be balanced, open things up for Alan Bowman. Look. Texas Tech's looking pretty dang good right now. And and maybe that Ole Miss loss was simply just, hey, a freshman played his first game and didn't look very good. Because the last two weeks, Alan Bowman's looked absolutely tremendous. So, again, Texas Tech 63, Houston 49. Now we're going to move to the big house, number 19, Michigan 45, SMU 20. What a weird football game. <laughs> you know? Like, Michigan's supposed to be this fantastic defense this this all world all everything team I mean people had them in their playoff before the season I I, and they just come out here and they allow SMU to score 20 points I mean they really it should have been 14-7 at the half but then Ben Hicks throws a terrible pick six just a terrible pick six but otherwise it's 14-7 at the half and, and I mean again Let's remember, I mean, obviously, TCU and SMU always play kind of close. You know, it's 14 to 12 at the half of that game. But that's a rivalry game. I mean, SMU really, really gets up for that game against TCU because they're historic rivals. A week earlier, they were down 36 to 0 against UNT. 
So the idea that they're hanging around and defending them very well, I don't know, that's weird. That, that's just weird to me. SMU actually did opt to, to bench Ben Hicks, though. They brought in William Brown, who's a player that I don't know if we've seen a whole lot from before since he's been at SMU, but he looks pretty good. 11 for 17, 82 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. I mean, he's a freshman from Rosenberg, so this was his first real performance. So, I mean, to, to throw a, a freshman out there right away and just be like, hey, make something happen, I mean, <laughs> oh, against the Michigan defense. But he, he actually added, you know, eight carries for 48 yards, was able to get some things moving with his feet. Xavier Jones, 13 carries for 50 yards. So, like, I, this was against the Michigan defense. It was supposed to do a lot of things, but I don't know. They weren't all that impressive. But but the start of the day really was James Prochet. I mean, Prochet was the guy who I said heading into this game. I actually went on a Michigan podcast last week to talk some Michigan versus SMU. And I said the only way they even keep it close is if James Prochet just has a crazy game and just has a bunch of breakaway touchdowns. And that kind of happened. I mean, he had 11 catches for 166 yards, two touchdowns. He needs to capitalize on this. This needs to be the starting point for him to, to set up the rest of his season because we've seen Prochet have some good games, but he's typically been the third receiver when he's done that. This was the first time as a number one receiver that Prochet went out there and looked like a number one receiver, which is what he has to be now that Cortland Sutton and Trey Quinn are gone. But SMU all of a sudden, I mean, yes, they're 0-3, and that UNT loss still stings like heck, but UNT's looking really freaking good right now. So SMU is 0-3, but maybe things don't look quite as dire as they did a few weeks ago because, again, they were able to hang around with Michigan on the road, too. You know, again, it was only 45-20. to 20. That wasn't, that's not a big deficit. So, like, SMU plays Navy next week. They obviously get Houston Baptist the week after that. That should be a win. You know, Navy's a winnable game. At Tulane, I mean, that's an ugly game, but it's winnable. Um, at UConn. That's definitely a winnable game. At Tulsa, that's a winnable game. So, you know, we were worried after after their first two weeks' performance that maybe SMU would be looking at a one or two win season. I mean, we weren't necessarily thinking that they only win one or two, but we were worried, you know? I mean, because you just look down the schedule. There's not a whole lot of wins on that schedule, but picking up a win or picking up a, a big performance against Michigan is a good sign. I mean, they were able to move the ball. They looked a lot more comfortable. And that's what they need to do. I mean, that's that's what they need to do. Um, you know, they they need to be able to move the ball both through the air on the ground. And and Prochet needs to be that big play guy, that number one target, that legit number one target. He has all the talent to be able to do it. And and SMU has talented quarterbacks. We'll see who they run out next week against Navy. But look, they have the talent to do it. And now Sunny Dykes needs to prove that they didn't make a mistake in hiring him. Texas A&M 48, ULM 10. This was a typical sort of SEC on Sun Belt game. I mean, they really didn't have any trouble with them. I mean, they allowed a couple too early points. I mean, they, they only led 27 to 10 at the half, but then they buckled down in the second half. Excuse me, 24 to 10 at the half. But then they buckled down in the second half and put together a very good performance. Running back Travion Williams, 22 carries for 128 yards and a touchdown. So that a great performance for him, a bounce back after having to face number two Clemson at home last week. Um, a good opportunity for him to gain back some confidence because, again, last week he wasn't able to get free. It wasn't his fault. He, I mean, 
he just wasn't able to get free against, obviously, one of the best defensive fronts we've ever seen in college football. So, no biggie there. Um, Texas A&M really needs to work on limiting the long play. I mean, they allowed a 44-yard reception, a 34-yard reception, a 28-yard reception, another 36. They, they can't allow so many big plays because, again, against ULM, maybe you can button down and, and not worry too much and not give up too much. When you're playing against Bama, number one Bama, like you're going to next week, you sure as heck cannot do that. You can't rely on, uh, you, you can't give up big plays and expect to win the football game. You know, so, and, and Texas A&M came to the press conference room after the game and said, we are not happy with this performance. And that's a good thing. That's how they should feel because they dominated them. They beat them by 38 points. It never was really close. The game was never in doubt. But you have to be perfect to be a championship team. I mean, you have to be perfect. And Texas A&M is not a championship team this year, nor are they supposed to be. But this is where you develop those habits. And it's encouraging to see that Jimbo Fisher's instilled that mentality into them that, hey, you know, good isn't good enough. You know, being pretty decent isn't good enough. Doing things well isn't good enough. You have to be perfect. You have to strive for perfection. You can't just be like, we won 48 to 10, congrats to us. You have to be, well, why did we allow 10? Why weren't we able to move the ball in this particular way? That's what you have to do. That's what you have to do to win titles. Kellen Mond follows up his breakout performance against Clemson with a 16 for 24 for 210-yard touchdown performance. Also added 67 rushing yards and two touchdowns. His dual threat ability is going to be really useful down the stretch for Texas A&M, especially when they play against Bama. There's sort of a reputation that Bama struggles with mobile quarterbacks, and I don't think that's fair. I think that everybody struggles with mobile quarterbacks because they're unpredictable, I mean, which is the idea of what they're supposed to do. So, but I mean, at the same time, I think, I think Bama doesn't, hasn't necessarily faced a quarterback like Kellen Mond is yet. Now, we need to figure out whether Kellen Mond is really Kellen Mond, you know, whether he is what we think he is. But through, t- uh, through three games this season, he sure looks very good. He looks very comfortable. And again, he played Clemson last week and threw for 430 yards. So going into next week against Alabama on the road, this is going to be his toughest test so far, but you got to imagine he's ready for it. And if Travion Williams is able to get going again, if the defense is able to keep playing at a high level, it's encouraging. I mean, that's, that's all there is to say. It's encouraging. Tennessee 24, UTEP 0. God, Tennessee's really not very good, are they? I mean, because obviously it was a 24-0 win, but UTEP... Oh, man. It, I was actually able to watch the large majority of this game, which I'm not always able to do because it was on SEC Network and because it was the only game in the early slots. Both of these teams looked really bad. I mean, they looked really, really bad. Uh, Kai Loxley for for UTEP, he throws the ball 22 times. It only has 39 passing yards, 1.8 yards per pass attempt. I mean, it was. Why do you even bother? You know, <laughs> like you might as well just run read option with with Kai Loxley every single play and make a Tennessee defender commit because he cannot pass the ball accurately and. You know, it's easy to say, hey, well, maybe Tennessee's pass defense is just really good. But I promise you, watching that game, that was not what was happening. He had a couple guys wide open for, like, eight-yard outs and, and just completely missed them. I mean, I, it was brutal. It was really, really brutal to watch that game because UTEP definitely didn't look ready to win that football game. But Tennessee sure as heck wasn't taking advantage of it. I mean, again, they didn't score more than one touchdown in any quarter. 
against UTEP at home at Neyland. And they really needed a bounce back game after after getting killed by Will Greer two weeks ago. But apparently they're satisfied with winning 24-0. Um, I don't know. It's a bizarre team. I mean, th- this was a very ugly game. I, I don't blame anyone who didn't watch a second of it because it was extremely ugly. It lived up to the hype. I mean, obviously Jeremy Pruitt, Tennessee's new head coach, is a defensive coach. But, I mean, you, you still have to score more than 24 points against UTEP. I mean, a week ago, UNLV scored 52 points against UTEP. I don't know. It, it was an ugly game. Uh, UTEP, the losing streak is now down to 15 games. Obviously, they're 0-3 since Dana Dimmel took over this season. Uh, if we're being honest, I don't know if there's an end in sight right now. So, Kansas State, 41, UTSA, 17. Uh UTSA, for whatever reason, played three Power 5 teams in the non-conference slates. They lose those games convincingly all three times. They lose to Arizona State 49-7. They lose to Baylor 37-20. They lose to Kansas State 41-17. Look, I've said it a couple times, but I kind of think that Frank Wilson might have missed his window because this team doesn't look very good right now. Cordell Grundy, I mean, he looks all right. 14 for 23, 108, and a touchdown, but I don't know. They they just don't have a lot that they know they can do well. And and they can run the ball, right? I mean, Jalen Rhodes and B.J. Daniels have both looked pretty good so far, but Frank Wilson seems a little hesitant to run them too much. And against Kansas State, they didn't get many rushes because Kansas State has a fantastic rush defense. But... I don't know. I mean, they there just aren't very many answers on this UTSA offense. And defensively, I mean, Kansas State's not exactly an explosive team, but they, they scored 27 points in the first half and kind of just coasted from there. Like, Kansas State actually led 41-7 to before they pulled their starters. So, so like, even 41-17 even to isn't even as close as the game actually was. UTSA allowed several big, big plays. Um, Alex Delton... Uh, their their second string quarterback who who does play plenty but he has he only had one pass attempt but it was for 72 yards and a, and a breakaway touchdown so UTSA just seems to be struggling to to do anything well right now um again i mean i've mentioned it before but the S&P plus has UTSA falling down um you know within the bottom handful of teams in the country and and last season, again, they were kind of seen as a Conference USA title contender, and that just fell apart really, really quickly. So, disappointing performance for UTSA, um, and, and it really doesn't necessarily get a whole lot easier than this. Now, luckily, they don't have to play any more Power 5 teams, and next week, they do have a very winnable game. And actually, the next three weeks, they have very winnable games, and they kind of need to go 3-0 through this stretch. They play Texas State, they play UTEP, and then they go to Rice. I mean, they really need to show something through that stretch because there aren't a whole lot of easier games left on the schedule. I mean, again, you have to play UNT, you have to play Marshall, you have to play Florida International University, which has looked better. You have to play Southern Miss. I mean, there's not a whole lot of easy games on the schedule. And so I think that you almost have to go 3-0 and through that next stretch or the season's going to start to fall apart. Speaking of one of those teams... South Alabama 41, Texas State 31. Texas State <laughs> Texas State looked to have this in the bag. They were up 31 to 16 in the third quarter after a really impressive performance from Willie Jones. 
But then Jones struggles, he, and then he gets uh, taken out. I can't remember if he got put back in. And then South Alabama was just able to, to outrun them. They scored 25 straight points. and 25 straight points against Texas State. I mean, Texas State had this win in the bag. And, and they just kind of lose it. I mean, they, they really just kind of lose it. I still, again, still though, Willie Jones had a very good game. He was 16 for 29 for 205 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. And he added 17 carries for 58 yards and a touchdown. So he was doing it in every way, which is exactly what they needed. Um, he hit with a couple of guys on some long passes, too, with uh, Javen Banks and with Hutch White. That's what you need to see from them. It's been a long time since Texas State has really had a reliable deep threat receiver. But they were able to kind of come in and do that against uh, South Alabama for stretches at least. And that's what you needed to see from them. But unfortunately, again, they, they just go cold in, in the third and fourth quarter. South Alabama gets hot. Their defense couldn't stop them. And that ended up being the difference. I mean, that really, it was that simple. South Alabama quarterback Evan Orth passed for 266 yards and two touchdowns. So, I mean... They really got things going in the second half, and uh, Texas State was completely unable to respond. And and like I was saying with UTSA, it's like when you don't win these games, there just aren't very many winnable games left on the schedule because they go to UTSA, then they play Louisiana Lafayette, Georgia Southern, at uh, at ULM versus New Mexico State. I mean, there aren't a ton of easy games on the schedule, right? There's a lot of games that they're either going to be toss-up games or maybe... 40 60 games where Texas State is underdogs. So I mean this is this is year 3 for Everett Withers and he really needs to show something this year and picking up a win against South Alabama and starting 2 and 1 would have been the perfect start but unfortunately they're not able to do it. They fade down the stretch and now Texas State sits at 1 and 2 with their only win being against a very very bad FCS team. <laughs> Finally Duke 40 Baylor 27. This was a very frustrating game to watch because Baylor just kept making these critical, critical mistakes in key situations. Um, You know, obviously the big thing that everybody's talking about is that Matt Rule just continues to go back and forth with his two two quarterbacks. And Brewer looked pretty good for a while. McClendon looked good for stretches. But I don't know, at some point you just have to pick. I mean... McClendon threw 16 passes and Brewer threw 27. So, what, you're just going to keep splitting it the entire season? Like, I understand that McClendon's a grad transfer, so you want to kind of get him some playing time. But I just don't know the message that this sends to to your young quarterback, Charlie Brewer, who's looked pretty dang good um, in the last two games and looked decent against Duke. And, and I'll tell you what, he had some great passes that were just completely dropped. So, I don't know. They made a lot of critical mistakes. Um, you know, there were, for example, there was two instances where they had kickoff returns and they just decided at the last second to not kneel it and they took it out of the end zone instead. And I think both times they ended up at the eight-yard line. So I don't know what exactly you're looking for there. I mean, it, that's ugly. And that's those are the kind of plays that you can't make. Um, and for example, too, I mean... Baylor was was streaking back, and then Jalen McClendon throws a pick six. And if he doesn't throw that pick six, the game is 27-33. They have the ball with the chance to go down 
and take the lead potentially, but instead he throws a pick six and that's the ball game, you know? And I don't know. It just feels like Baylor keeps making the same mistakes as a team that they've continued to make the entire time. It's just these little mental special teams mistakes. I mean, and, and those are kind of astonishing to me because the kicker turner really seems to have no idea what he's supposed to do. And that just can't happen. I mean, that really just can't happen. I, I don't know. It's a bizarre situation. But Baylor allows 40 points, 33 on on, uh, on defense, of course, because there was also that pick six. Uh, and against a, a first-time quarterback, too, because Quentin Harrison never started a game for Duke. They actually went up 23-0 to in the first half, and, and Baylor did outplay them in the second half, but it was just too little too late. You know, I mean, you can't spot a team 23 points and expect to go out and win the football game. That's just, again, that's not how this works. <laughs> you know? Baylor's not good enough to make all these mistakes and still be able to capitalize. They definitely miss Denzel Mims. Again, we talked about all those drops, but... It's not like Denzel Mims would have necessarily swung this ball game either, you know. So, Baylor falls to um, two and one on the season. Now they head to play Kansas next week, and I'll, we we got to talk about Kansas for a second. I know this is a Texas show, but my goodness, Kansas goes and absolutely beats the crap out of Rutgers. I think fifty-five to seventeen was the final. Like, where did that come from? <laughs> They're two and zero since inserting Puka Williams, the freshman running back, into the starting lineup, and he's been tremendous in both games. And their offense has looked outstanding. So now, all of a sudden, they come to Waco, Texas. It's Baylor versus Kansas, and Kansas does not look like a stiff. I mean, Baylor should be heavily favored to win this game, but things are going to get ugly real, real quick if if uh, Baylor doesn't take care of business. And we'll finish off by going through the new Dave Campbell Sex Football Texas Power Poll. Number one on top. It's an easy choice. It's the North Texas Mean Green. They moved to 3-0 on the season after a tremendous victory. Huge performance by North Texas, of course. So they're number one in the state in our power rankings. TCU sticks it out at number two. I know they lost to Ohio State, but the way that they played was very impressive. And they still have two impressive wins on their resume. Texas A&M sits at number three. Again, great performance against Clemson. Come just short, obviously, last week. And then I've taken care of the cupcakes on their schedule outside of that. Number four, it's the Texas Tech Red Raiders. They move up two spots from number six. Great performance by them. Alan Bowman looks like a legit, legit quarterback. Um, and that's encouraging. Number five, the Texas Longhorns. They moved to 2-1 two and one on the season after beating USC. Great performance by them. Huge win over USC. I mean, again, we'll see whether USC actually ends up being good by the end of the year. But even to just face off against a pretty good opponent, even if they're not top 25 caliber, to, to face off against them at Daryl K. Royal Memorial Stadium and lay the wood on them, that's an impressive performance. And now, look, it's up to Tom Herman to build on it now. Next up on the list, we have the Houston Cougars. Obviously, they lose to uh, they lose obviously to Texas Tech in a shootout, but they still play very well. Derek King is very legit. When they go into AAC play, they're not going to face quarterbacks like Alan Bowman every single week, and that's a that's a weird thing to say, but that's absolutely factual. I mean, that's absolutely factual. They're not going to face quarterbacks like that every single week, um, and that's a good situation. Next up is the Baylor Bears. Baylor falls to 2-1 and one after a very unimpressive performance like we talked about against Duke. Um, again, they can move up this list, but you know, last week they were number 5, and now they fall down, and they really don't deserve to be any higher than 7, honestly. So 
that's where they are right now and look prove me wrong number eight we have the smu mustangs they play pretty well obviously against michigan they're still oh and three but i think they showed some signs both against tcu and against michigan of course uh if if Sonny Dykes is starting to figure it out, that's a great sign because Dykes is a very good offensive mind. I mean, realistically, he is. But, um, you know, we have to see it now. We have to see it show up. And they're going to have a good test against Davey next week, and we're going to learn a lot about them. Number nine, still the Rice Owls. Rice was off this week, but they've looked pretty dang good in, in their first three weeks of the season. Even though it was one and two, they played well against Houston. They made, uh, You know, they played well against Hawaii. So... They're number nine for right now. I think that they have some upside. It'll be interesting to see how they look later in the year. I mean, I'm very curious to see what, what Rice looks like down the stretch, but they stay at number nine in our poll. UTSA stays at number 10. Um, you know, they're not going to fall lower than 10, but 0-3, getting killed by three Power 5 teams, just look like they don't even deserve to be on the same field. Um, it's going to be a long season for Frank Wilson and UTSA, and we'll see how they recover. Number 11, Texas State. If they had beaten South Alabama, they would have moved up to 10, but unfortunately, they, they faltered down the stretch. Uh, again, like we said, give up 25 points in the third and fourth quarter, 25 straight points. That's not going to cut it against, you know, for a team that really is struggling to do much of anything right now. So Texas State sits at number 11. And UTEP, the losing streak is now up to 15 losses, of course dating back to before Dana Dimmel ever got here, of course, because they went 0-12 last season. They have losses already this season to FCS Northern Arizona, to UNLV, to Tennessee. It's hard to see where it gets better from here. I mean, again, we'll, we'll see whether Dimmel can install some things, whether Loxley can become more comfortable as a passer, but right now, there's absolutely no reason to think that they're going to move anywhere from number 12 in this poll. Anyway, we'd like to give a quick thank you to North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. We always appreciate them coming out and sponsoring the show. Like I always say, I bought a Honda from North Texas Honda Dealers, so I am a paying customer, and I can tell you that their service is fantastic. And we'd like to give a quick thank you to everyone who listens to the show. I got some great feedback from some listeners this week. I really appreciate everybody who's listening. I love getting feedback. You know, and, and if there's something I can do better... You know, again, this is the first time that I've really done a solo show, and we have some interviews sometimes, but to a large extent, it's a solo show. So the conversation, I'd love for it to be with, with the listeners, you know, and and I think that what we do here is pretty unique. I mean, we're able to shed some light on some teams that maybe don't get the sort of statewide acclaim that they deserve, and, and look, we were early on UNT, and we're going to follow them the whole way up. I'm very high on Rice. I think that they have a lot of upside. Houston, of course, is the best player in the country. I mean, we're in a very unique position, and I love that we're able to do this and, and talk about the intersection of all of these teams in this great state of Texas. If you enjoy the podcast, please let me know. Follow me on Twitter, at Shahan Raja. Tweet at me. I really love interacting with everybody. Uh, if you enjoy the show, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts, whatever your preferred service is. And we'll be back with you on Wednesday to discuss the next week's games. And hopefully we'll have a special guest. So stick around. We'll see you guys next week.